Hello. Hey. How you doing? Not good. Oh, what's wrong? Uh, they lost. Who lost? Who lost? The, the North London Derby, the Arsenal lost. Oh, boy. Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean they never get to play again? <laughs> because if the answer isn't yes, then you're overreacting. Mm. It feels like it. Mm-hmm. There's the thing, right? The you, you know that you, you know feeling that, and reality. Well, you know that song feels like the first time. Yeah, this feels like the last time. It, <laughs> exactly. It's the opposite of that. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? You know. I don't. I don't. I guess. You know. <sighs> well, and, and you're not- drink to unconsciousness. That's one option. <laughs> I think that'll be pursued by many Arsenal fans. Yeah, yeah. That's look. We may have some Spurs fans who are listeners, and and we may have some people who aren't who are not um, fans of of the beautiful game at all. And um, like I was not, you know. Right. I even wrote a blog post one time about how you know if you're a nerd, you should really you know you might want to give English football a try. Sure, it's fun. You, you level up. That's what I like about it. No, it's not merely English football, right? This football is played in many countries, England and many oh, yeah. others. Yeah, all over the world. All over the world, yeah. And I follow the Spanish League a little bit, too. I mean, I follow all of them a little bit, but um, I only really have time uh, these days to watch the Arsenal games and maybe, you know, I'll watch the Madrid-Barcelona games when they're on. Those are fun. And, mm-hmm. and, I'll watch, and, and other good um, Champions League matches I'll watch. You know, all this, I got a blog post about it. I don't know if I'm going to link it up, though. I'll let people find it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too self-promotional about it, but, um, <clears throat> I enjoy watching some of the football. Yeah. Not yeah. to, I, I like to watch the second half of a game <laughs> or match or bout or whatever the blaze is it's called, but, um, yeah. What, what are they called? What are they called in, in, in fencing? What do they call those things? Are those bouts? I don't know. It's probably got some French name, right? Scrums or scratches <laughs> or. Ah, yeah. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure it's scrums. Yeah. Um, you know, so the other thing, in addition to the, to the loss, um, you, you know, you're not here. It's Saturday rather than Friday. It's kind of early in the morning. Um, I mean, it's not early in the morning, but I mean, <laughs> as, it's earlier than we normally record. That's true. The last time we recorded early in the morning, when I played it back, I, it sounded like a different person. Did you notice that? No. Yeah, I sounded, I sounded like I, I sounded like I had bedhead. You know what I mean? <laughs> we could actually hear it through the microphone. Mm-hmm. The misalignment the- <laughs> of hair. <laughs> now, the the thing is that the last time we did a show like this, where you were at a conference in a way, um, I even think we, you didn't sound this good last time, first of all, but um, I think that was the first show, and, and you were in California, where we um, discussed speed traps. It was the first show when we became... It was really the beginning of our conquest of the world with respect to speed trap law. There's no question of that. Right. Um, as to whether or not the sound connection was as good, I yeah, I can't I can't speak to that I issue. Th- I I have a little bit of a sinus thing this morning. I'm feeling a little congested, so that's making me sound different. Oh, you sound good though. I have a little sound- vocal fry. Maybe I should try that. Maybe I could quit smoking if I do that. Yeah. I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's not the smoking that gets you; it's the vaping. <laughs> I, you know, I have I have never smoked a cigarette. Really? No. Well, why would I do that? You know, why? I, why? 
Well, I did in law school. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> I smoked um, a, a bit, not a lot. Um, and uh, my, my habit never got to be more intense than a few cigarettes out with friends at a bar, that kind of thing. It's dangerous though, right? I mean, I mean that uh, you obviously don't have the brain chemistry that made it impossible to put down once you took it up. That's true. And you don't know in advance if you're going to be that kind of, you know, that's a fair point. You really don't. So you are taking, you're taking, you're ma- you're making a bit of a gamble. You're taking a bit of a gamble when you yeah. do that. Cause yeah. it is a very, that's nicotine is apparently for some people. Yeah. Very, um, a very bad, uh, addictive substance. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is kids don't do the drugs or the smoking. Well, you know, yeah, kids certainly shouldn't. Right. Um, adults, I was an adult. I was in my twenties. Um, so right. yeah, I, 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 I don't know why you would do, well, we can, we'll come back to this, but did you see related to this? You know, I, um, there was an article, there's a, there's a new book out and I don't, I, I don't have the link or anything, but, um, but, but at the, the age of, of my son, actually, he's kind of right in the heartland of this, but like teens, mid teens, late teens, um, some, like a third of the kids actually increase their IQ. A third of the kids have lower IQs and a third stay the same. When they what? Um, no, this, this is just observed, right? So, you know, who knows what all of the reasons are for... Oh, why. you're saying that at this stage of life, this At this happens. stage of development, right, right. And, and I mean, the one thing we know decreases IQs in the teenage brain, or it, I don't say we know, but, you know, there's good evidence, is, is uh, marijuana. Oh. Yeah, I mean, which is, you know, if it is, um, if it turns out to be relatively harmless for adults and, and you know, an overvilified drug, it seems like it might be really bad for... For teens, um, yeah. Well, there's all these, you know, this this basic. I mean, your basic logic here about the fact that when when really uh, pr- profound transformations are afoot, um, and they're transformations we don't really understand, but although we observe them and so we know they're happening, uh, you know, why do you want to throw something into the middle of that process? Yeah, um, that could really send it off in a bad direction yeah yeah and i I don't know the article i just remember from the article it was a while ago about how it had uh um a while ago for me means you know a few days ago joe (laughs) (laughs) you live in internet time yeah i'm speaking my own memory now so you would think from my memory that you know that i had been smoking drugs my whole life but um (laughs) but not um uh, but you know that that the, the teenage brain has all of these, you know, a, a lot more what receptor sites for these things because it's growing and and um, mm. it's a, basically I don't know maybe you fill up all these receptors with stuff and it doesn't grow as well. That's a, that's about the state of my that's about the state of my knowledge. It's <laughs> it, it doesn't go much beyond it doesn't go much beyond uh, the an analogy to like soil and plants. Uh, I feel like I saw a picture of this in a Dr. Seuss book at one point. Um, your metaphor, your analogy, it might be a little crude, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the point is, as you say, you, 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 there's a lot going on. Uh, we don't understand it particularly well uh, from a, from a clinical or medical point of view. So you could either, um, you know, let that process play out and kind of do what you can in your favor, like you know, get enough sleep and try to eat good food and you know, right. et cetera, et cetera. Or you can, you know, also suck on burning plant material. <laughs> Yeah, um, which you know is sort of like, why are you doing that? That's not 
of course it has certain benefits like you get a zap of feeling out of it or you get yeah. a mellow out of it and and being teenager is very uh, angsty and difficult in lots of ways that we all have experienced as teenagers. So it's not like we don't know um, right. that all of the emotions and moods and thoughts and it's, you know, there's a, again, there's a lot going on. And, so, who's, and who's to say sucking on burnt plant material isn't actually, uh, won't, won't be shown to be good in certain situations. I mean, you know, we, we, did, a know, whole episode, exactly. we did a whole episode about this a long time ago, but, I, and, and later in life and yeah, there's, so much that we don't know about how to grow our brains best. And, right. um, you know, for, for whatever your own purpose is and you're growing your brain, but there are very few things in modern life that a little bit more working memory and, and, and so whatever <laughs> it is that intelligence quotients are, are measuring and, and, right. you know, I, let's not even get into that, but whatever it is that they're measuring, you, people, you, you'd rather all things being equal, more of that than less of that, I think. Yeah, agreed. And, and who knows what all these factors are? I mean, you know, this is that was just one thing, but it's a third more, a third less, a third stay the same, and then, and then later in life, you know, how do we, you know, the, oh, there's so much, there's so much. How how do we sort through all this? Mm. You remember that show that we talked about, um, uh, where I mentioned I had this idea for people in their fifties or late fifties coming back to school for a year. I do remember that. I, I wonder what the effects of that would be. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know that anyone's. Have there been studies of this? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. There's. I'm sure there is a within the field of what would it be gerontology or something. There's probably some some uh, folks who care, do care, work in that. <laughs> careful there. We're both getting towards our <laughs> towards our fifties. <laughs> gerontology may be a little extreme. I well, just, I was yeah because I was I was pointing to a, a, a later age. I think there's right. more work in investigating uh, later stages of life. Closer, yeah. closer to end of life, so seventies, eighties, this sort of thing. I don't know whether there's stuff in, when people are in their fifties. Well, see, this is why people tune into our show, Joe. They want to hear us speculate about things that we know nothing about and have not looked up before the show. It's very entertaining because <laughs> you know I think that if you want to, you want to get people to explore their curiosities in their fifties, and that may help them in their sixties and seventies. It could, and you know, just keep never stop learning. This is where the NBC star <laughs> thing. Goes across. The more you the, know. The more you know, exactly. Or as in our case, the more you don't know. <laughs> and that you can speculate about. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we should advertise our show. The one show that gets better, the less that the hosts know. Hey, at the dinner uh, last night. Um, now, now, we should say you're at a conference. And, yes, and, I'm and at an want, undis- do, undisclosed. You, I was going to ask, do you want to disclose? I don't, I'm at an undisclosed location. Um, uh attending a conference uh, was at it all day yesterday i'm i'm missing today's proceedings for a number of reasons but um uh the uh the dinner as is customary for law professor conferences as some of our listeners may know um there's there's often a dinner you know in the in the evening that's in the middle of a conference that straddles two days yeah to promote to promote fellowship and yes yeah and the, and to you know experience things like the singing of karaoke. Oh no, um, that's that's good. I'm always um, very uh, uh, keen to leave before that happens. Oh really? Because I, I was gonna not, yeah, I was gonna ask when we're gonna do the karaoke show. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know when you want to do that, but I've had it penciled in for maybe a few weeks from now. Yeah, I've got can, some songs. You you come up with a list of songs. I'll come up with a list of songs. And we'll, let's ex, let's explore that possibility. Yeah, I'm open to that. Okay. Um, but 
getting back to last night's dinner. Yeah. So I had occasion to ask a, a few different people if they would love to be a guest on our show. And oh, great. I, I received nothing but I received nothing but affirmatives. Wow. And I also, uh, a, a listener, Laura, uh, indicated that she really enjoys the show a lot and uses it in, on her commute. She listens to us while she is driving uh, to and fro. So you would describe her as a heavy user. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but in context, I would always want to make sure that the context of that remark was clear. Right, right. Now that's, you know, callbacks. One of the the characteristics of great comedy, Joe. (laughs) In addition to using your first name a lot, which I know that you love. Right. It sounds better on the radio if I use your first name, I think. Okay. I, I don't know. Um, to, 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 to really explore the callback though, to really explore the callback here, I think we need to apply for a grant to study the effect on IQ of listening to oral argument. Ooh, yes. I think when we have, when we have good, when we have, when we have our, uh, our guests on, when we have our good shows, when we have our guests, I think it's positive. Um, I think for the last few minutes, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as sure. But you could, you know, you could disagree. I don't know. What's that? Uh, what's that uh, story? Flowers for Algernon. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it's the drug, and the person becomes very intelligent. And um, but I think mm-hmm. it has a bad ending. Unlike, I think, unlike, I think you're thinking of Lucy. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Unlike flowers for Algernon, I think um, oral argument for Algernon would have not would not have a bad ending. It would have a great ending, <laughs> which is unlimited and infinite growth of the mind. <laughs> you would you you would uh, um, you know you would keep growing, and there, there, there would eventually be this blinding white light where you've achieved some kind of oral argument transcendence, and you're in this white room with the uh, Star Child from 2001 and Nicholas Georgiakopoulos. Yes, <laughs> yes, and of course. And and coffee from uh, Bunny. Oh, <laughs> and yes, and it's just an endless discussion of awesome ideas. That's that's uh, with all the guests that we've had on in the past. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we would be in the room because I mean, <laughs> transcendence just, means that you've you've gotten what you get from the show and you've gone beyond, right? And we so you just, don't need us anymore, right? We're just listening. We're <laughs> listening in on their wonderful conversation. Oh. Yes, transcendence is the inversion of what of the whole show. The, wow. the, the talkers become the listeners. Oh boy! Okay, lots to cut out today. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, 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 I interrupted you. This is just going to be a ca- this is going to be a little bit cash, wouldn't you say? Super cash. Yeah, okay. not, not just a little bit cash. Mega cash. Yeah, that's a that's a little uh, that that's a little dad abreve right there. Right. My kids love the abreves. <laughs> um, um, so you were so talking you, about about listener laura and uh, and how she enjoyed listening she was a heavy user of the show on her commute which right? i think is legal in every state it is yeah it is but go ahead um, unlike unlike mary jane uh, go ahead caller uh <laughs> i i simply wanted to report you you say you interrupted i really don't think you did because i was done reporting that um i feel like i've recruited some great future guests i feel like i've you know, I, I liked, and this was, I think this was unlike you, you get assaulted by fans pretty much every day. Um, the only times in the past people have told me that they enjoyed the show was when you forced them to, like when you, when you, you know, arranged some totally fake interaction. 
Um, but but <laughs> this was a spontaneous mentioning to me by this other person of this fact. So that was really awesome. All that I've done is mention to our listeners that it's okay. I've given I've given the go ahead, the permission to do what they really want to do, which is to give you just a big old bear hug and thank you for uh, <laughs> for making oral argument what it is. I, I know I, and I love that spirit, that giving spirit. Um, I really don't think the hug is necessary, but, um, you know, that's just my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, um, do you, anything else to report from your undisclosed location? How, how, the conference is good. You're enjoying it. You're, you're, you're on hotel Wi-Fi right now. So, I am wow. uh, using Skype on hotel Wi-Fi with my phone. This is, hmm. so it's technologically complex, but, uh, but obviously workable yeah conference is great lots of great things going on in in ip law um lots of fun trademark stuff that i saw yesterday um you know these 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 conferences often in ip it's really it's interesting because i've seen it really grow uh since i started law teaching in 2001 and these conferences have gotten very large which is great because it means the field is growing and there's you know, there's really fun and interesting stuff going on, and it's it's copyright and trademark and patent and uh, some allied concepts, and it's just super fun to to get to hear uh, papers about uh, research projects in those areas that I don't tend to write in, but but right. I'm interested in, both as a teacher of an IP survey class and author of an IP survey casebook, and you know, I want I want to keep my ear to the ground on the developments in these other areas and then how do they re- help me reflect better about my own work and so it's it's really fun now i, I have an ip issue I, I thought maybe we could spend a few minutes on today oh. but but before getting to that i just want to note that um i didn't i didn't get a call to come to this conference and and i think i have well-known views about ip um y- you do worth sharing i mean um this growing field that you describe i think could be characterized ultimately as as successful if it results in the elimination of patent and copyright <laughs> entirely. Well, well, look, I, I think it's um, I think there's little doubt that if you surveyed um, general counsels of various uh, firms that are heavily reliant on current IP systems, or if you surveyed uh, lawyers in private practice uh, who, who have those firm uh, those businesses as, as clients. I think that to the degree that that folks in those lawyers in those locations uh, know what's going on in among the law professor world at all, like for, first of all, a lot of them wouldn't know very much about what was going on in the law professor world because their focus is different, right? They're focused um, on more particular issues and the needs of their clients, and yeah, like that, and yeah. and they work in different time horizons and that kind of right, stuff. Right, right. Um, so so many of them simply wouldn't be particularly aware, but those who are who 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 are aware, I think they would say. Yeah, you know, the law professor types, they seem they seem to always be arguing about how to make IP rights weaker. Right. Um and and that's and we don't understand why they take that attitude or we think we understand why they take that attitude, we don't like that attitude. So actually, uh although I don't think uh, most IP scholars view it as their job to in effect put themselves out of business. <laughs> Um, I do think that um, a lot of people, and and I would put myself in this uh, camp certainly, um, who are in law teaching and law and legal scholarship in the IP field, um, t- do tend to focus on the ways in which IP rights are have have grown uh, too big, too broad, too uncertain, 
uh, and in that sense, harmful to competition and free expression and other really important values that we have. So, um, yeah. Well, let, let me let me summarize because you know I wasn't I wasn't there, and and um, I'm sure they just forgot to ask my opinion about these things. But yeah. um, uh, trademarks basically fine. Need a strong fair use for trademark, and you need to get rid of the anti dilution stuff altogether. Uh, <laughs> copyright um, twelve years once renewable done. Uh, patent law eliminated entirely done. Um, I think that's that's pretty much my presentation. So I don't know oh. if you want to share that with people there. Uh, that's cool. But feel free, feel free. You could, that that one's free. Um, I don't I claim any. That. I don't claim any. Obviously, no patent over these. Of ideas, course, right? of course. You know we, what's great about that is that we could just put that on a little three by five card, right? You just print those bullet points on a three by five card. I could hand those out at conferences. I could put. I could leave them in the. You know, they're also. You know, it's not only the dinner, but frequently there'll be a lunch in the middle of one of the days. I could put right. that at all the seats <laughs> for the lunch, where people could just reflect on that at lunch and talk about it. Yeah, that'd be you, great. You know, we joke, but um, uh, well, first of all, it is a little bit unusual because it's not like you go to like uh, aeronautics departments at various universities and you find that in fact the people in in academia doing aeronautical engineering are basically thinking, ah, we should get rid of airplanes. <laughs> but, but, so it is a little bit funny in that way. But, uh, um, I, you know, I had thought a while about uh, maybe making a blog post, which just kind of is a list of things that are true. <laughs> you know, just like a list of things that are true that, that we can Do you envision this to be, to be a long post or a short yeah, post? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I think there are about 30 or 40 things that are true and that everybody knows, and yet we can't get to the right answer because of nonsense. That kind of post. So yeah, we, I mean, it's like so climate, climate change is one, but but no, I, I think that everybody knows that c- the copyright term is ridiculous. Does I mean, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. absurd. And right. the, you would argue at the edges of what it should be, but I think almost everybody would agree that it should be on the order of in the teens of years or maybe 20 and maybe with a renewal period. Right. Um, and and another way to another way to say that I think everyone knows it's too long is to say that everyone knows that were it not for the lobbying funded by the income generated by copyrights that exist now and last way too long, copyright terms would be shorter. Right. We would be able to get legislatively to a better equilibrium. And right. it's precisely the income generated by copyrights that are too long that is funding the opposition that prevents us from getting to that new equilibrium. That's the kind of perversion of, of in, a, in a sort of public choice perspective, right? Of course. Uh, and everybody knows that, right? I mean, everybody right. – and, and, and so I, I feel like there's some, some value in acknowledging that the, the, just the bare fact that that is true and that everything else about copyright are, is just stuff around the edges that is completely overwhelmed by – um, by the bad public policy that is the length of the term, you know. Um, right, right. And there are f- there are a few other issues like that too, where there there are things which are clearly true, but which are muddied in, you know, by nonsense. And, yeah. Um, anyway, and I don't. An I think the patent system is not. Um, I think the patent system is. Uh, I disagree with your. Uh, unlike the copyright thing, I disagree with your your assertion that we just, uh, you know, call the whole thing off. Um, but, but I do think that it's a patent law is an especially perilous project, you know, yes. as a matter of, as a matter of social policy, um, uh, because, um, as, as, as good as it is when it's working very well, it is truly awful, terrible when it's working badly. 
Yeah, and that's why I think the the one thing you could say in a post like that that, w- that everyone would agree is true is that software patents do a whole lot of harm and very little good. Um, that they're basically nonsense. And uh, y- where you get disagreement, I think, is over pharmaceuticals and, and other particular scientific areas. But even then, I mean, this is where we might disagree. Right. You know, looking at the whole thing, if I had to just hypothesize, again, based on I would say very little evidence. I have done some reading about this, so it's not like this is based on no evidence, but um, right. but I couldn't yeah. like cite it all. But I think that you know, mar- the the marginal value of patents is is le- is is negative. You know, the marginal benefits are, are less marginal over like other schemes you might use to um, to incentivize the creation of pharmaceuticals or to fund the creation of new pharmaceuticals. Yeah, um, that that may be the case. Yeah, that may be the case. I certainly do uh, agree with you, though, on the software point. That you know, for some, of course, the devil is in the details of the, you know, for some value of the phrase software patents. I agree. Software patents are, are create way much uh, a, a lot more trouble than they're worth. Yeah, and I mean the way that patent law works, right, is that it casts a very wide net over inventions. Um, the Supreme Court's kind of been chipping away at it, right, at, at exceptions. And and the way that I would want to see it as someone who is not a scholar in the field is uh, that, the, that the default is there is no patent and that we create patent for very specific technical areas well, rather than carving course, them out. Well, that no, but, but that is, I mean, actually, that is a, a, a historically grounded, better reading of the patent system. Um, and, and by historical, I don't simply mean, let me go take a slice of something from the 1800s. I mean, you know, history up to the present moment, a, a, an appropriately historically grounded view of patent law would say, that actually is the system, right? Hmm. Um, IP is the, and the Supreme Court says this repeatedly in the last 20 years, I, IP is the exception to the rule. The rule is competition and including free copying. Yeah, you see that. Yeah, you see that in uh, Brandeis, INS versus AP. Um, but but much more recently, uh, traffic's yeah. the traffic's case, um, uh, uh, which is about the interaction of patent rights and trade dress rights. You see, you see it all over the place. Benito yeah. Boats, which is a preemption case about a Florida state statute that protects uh, uh, boating uh, holes uh, from being copied by other people. Supreme Court has said this repeatedly. Right, the, the default rule in our economy is. Um, competition is totally awesome, and one of the ways people can compete is by copying each other's innovations. It just Full stop. But that's, it, it, that's yeah. the basic rule. And then IP is a is supposed to be, and, and this is where the the IP professors are on incredibly solid ground. Um, it's supposed to be an exception to that under to that basic default approach that is justified in very particular and, and specific ways, as you say, right? Now, that, unfortunately, that's not how it works on the ground, though. That's well, not right, how it works because the, the political economy has gotten out of control, um, and and the and and maybe it's the case. You look back at all this experience, and you say, "Well, in theory, it would be an exception to the rule." But unfortunately, um, the the returns on investment that these protections from competition create, right? The the money you get, the money you generate by giving people the shield against competition by copying, they can then take that money and instead of turning it into more innovation, they can turn it into lobbying efforts to further shield themselves, right? Yeah. Um, that kind of distortion winds up being, you know, it, it kind of undermines the entire premise. You know what, we'd be better off if there were only just competition, including by copying. Right. I'm not quite there. 
conceptually, but I, but I see the outline of the argument. But you're wrong to say that that's not the way the default is currently understood and that IP is an exception. That, that, is, the common, that is the understanding. Well, that, well, that's in what sense is that wrong? It's wrong in, the, yes, people say what you say, but the fact is, you know, if, you, if, you, I, if we were to pick at random something we might describe as an intellectual good, what are the, what's the probability that it is protectable under one or more um, IP exclusion regimes? You know, whether it's copyright, patent, trade secret, uh, yeah, trademark, well, yeah. I think the chances are high that it's covered under two of those regimes. I think you're right. And, uh, and, and I think that's a question about what the law is. Now, interestingly, one of the, one of the presentations I saw uh, yesterday by someone who, who would, be, would be great to have as a guest, I didn't actually ask him that, didn't have a chance to, but, um, but you know, of course, there's, there's that issue. What does the law really provide? And then there's another issue, which is what do people really think? about IP, what do they think it does protect? What do they think it should protect? Um, now, it won't surprise you to hear that those two things are pretty close together. People tend to think it does what they think it should do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but interestingly, what people think is that, um, ba- that IP is basically about plagiarism. That the, the important social norm that's being protected is copying without attribution. Right. And that one thing that that means is that people think that if you give attribution, if you source your stuff, like I copied this from X, that the copying's okay. It's funny. You see these intuitions in, in this case, I keep referring to INS versus AP. And I, I just taught it to my leg reg students. Um, it's such a recently. great case. The Brandeis yep. opinion is so brilliant, so ahead of its time. It's so awesome. Well, but you see all three views, right? You see. I mean, w- without any, without application to a particular copyright regime, right? Because the Supreme Court is just making it up to deal with a, a one-off right. social problem, essentially. Yes. And, 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 the, and, and the Holmes case, the, the Holmes opinion is all about attribution. Exactly. And the, and the majority is all about, like, almost the morality of stealing, you know? Um, but, but well, as a, as a it's thing that undermines the but, incentive to yeah, invest yeah, yeah, yeah. in creating yeah, yeah. in the first place, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. But those two are not well disentangled in the majority opinion. In, right. in my view, I mean, this kind of moral impulse we have to uh, protect things, uh, to protect originality and the instrumental goal. So, so if, for people who don't know, the INS versus AP case is a, what was it, 1920s or something? 1918. Yeah. Um, it's a case where you have one group, in, one, one newspaper confederation, INS, basically reading papers, morning papers on the East Coast um, and then telegraphing the information about those stories to the West coast and then printing stories, you know, using only AP as a source, um, in time to be out in the, uh, uh in the morning papers on the West coast. And so, right, but the, not, but not attributed, but not attributed. And exactly. And so basically AP lost their first mover advantage on the West coast. And the claim was that if this kind of thing is allowed, then people won't be able to afford to send reporters out into the field. Cause it's sure is a lot cheaper just to wait and, and and read the news off a bulletin board or from the paper than it is to pay for reporters. And so the Supreme Court felt that there was some need to preserve an incentive and and I won't go into everything, but typically exclusion regimes where you get a right uh to keep competitors out is an is an answer to these uh to these perceived problems. And and, and so the Supreme Court saw it both as an instrument, you know, protecting AP at least for a little while from from competitors as a solution to this problem instrumentally in order to preserve incentives. But also, you know, they use the language of unfair competition, and and there's there's a bit in there about 
about the kind of inherent unfairness of free riding, which causes Brandeis in dissent to say, you know, free riding is good for the most part. Uh, right. Drives down costs, uh, encourages continued innovation, um, and the law has only picked out a few areas where we don't allow uh, this kind of free riding. And if this is going to be one of those, the legislature ought to pass on it. You know, he does a lot of really interesting things. And as you say, Holmes uh, is the one who says, you know, if there's a if there's a harm here, it's kind of a it's almost a consumer protection type harm. Uh, it's unattributed, and they, they, you need to say who you got the information from. Um, I think it's. It's really interesting. All those um, those are the main impulses that pervade um, intellectual property to this day, right? Yep, including the including con- the concerns about relative in- uh, institutional competence. Like, yeah. what will what will courts be good at doing? What will uh, legislatures be required to do? Uh, what might agencies take up? I mean, it's all in there. All right. Well, this is. I, I feel like we've had this conversation on the show several times because uh, really, I, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Basically, the conversation where I say we should shut down the whole thing, and and you say, well, maybe not everything. And then- yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. We've had that. We've had, but look, we are like the show. Like the two people who are always on the show every week are us. Yeah. Like so, of course, we've talked about it before. We're yeah. us. This yeah. They're is like they're always new listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what is this? You said you the had an IP. One. You had an IP question. Yeah. Um. Uh. The news about. Do you have any thoughts about the um FCC? coming out uh, and suggesting that it will, in fact, regulate cable providers, uh, internet provision as a utility? Um, uh, I have many thoughts about it. Uh, let me start by saying that um, there are many people who are reporting it that way. Of course, that's quite, that's quite wrong. Uh, that's not what the FCC is not proposing that it be treated as a utility. Um, they're, they're proposing that it be treated uh, as a common carrier. And those aren't the same thing. There are okay. many common carriers that are not utilities. Um, so, I'm, oh, Miller's being fussy. Well, right. I mean, these are <laughs> these are important terms. They mean different things. Um, yeah. You know, utilities involves uh, very intensive rate regulation, uh, usually, almost always, um, and and common carriage need not uh, entail uh, intensive rate regulation. So, you know, I, look, I think it's very interesting. I think it's certainly, uh, we're not anywhere near where people thought we would be a year ago when the DC circuit rejected the previous effort. And let's drop, the, a, let's drop a note here for our listeners. I mean, we've done past shows, I think with Christina Mulligan, uh, with, um, Jim Spetta, Jim Spetta, uh, and, and maybe we've even done more about this. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the basic issue is, m- in many places, your local cable company has a monopoly over provision of internet services, but not everywhere. And over broadband internet service, yes, over high quality, right. high speed internet service, which of course is what people most want and and frankly increasingly need. Did you see that link that um, that Gruber had um, um, about how uh, to to an article saying that AOL still makes I think is it most of its money or a whole bunch of its money from dial up internet service? I, I didn't see that only because I don't follow John Gruber's stuff. But yeah, it's um, crazy. Yeah, it, it well, but it's crazy on a few different levels. Um, but but certainly on the level of, you know, why is DSL the only way for uh, a bunch of people in a bunch of locations in our geographically very very large country? <laughs> why is DSL the only thing available to them? I don't why even think it's, I don't even think it's DSL. I think it's. I understood. I mean, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I should know more about this. But oh, you I think, think it's, I think it's true di- low speed dial up? Yeah, dial up modems. 
low speed dial up low modems. speed dial up modems you know with wow. the sound and all that i i, I oh, think Jesus. but i'll look and i'll either drop a link or i'll clarify that it's dsl in, in yeah. the show well notes. again i mean it's a, it's a very complicated challenge actually getting you know how do you as you say you've got uh, many places where the the your cable provider is the only provider who's offering high speed uh, high speed internet connection right. high speed broadband internet connection um and and that means you've got all the problems that you get with monopoly and and um, and, and basically there you've got you've got one provider between you and the netflix Right. Now, now the hope was at some points in time, I think the hope was that, as I understand it, the hope was that there would be competition arriving soon. So, for example, you had companies like Verizon saying, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to roll out a lot of fiber optic uh, connectivity uh, to the home. And that so suddenly your telecom provider. It, your phone provider is going to be able to give you a, a genuinely competitive option to your cable provider for that high-speed um, internet connection. Yeah. Well, Verizon did roll out a little bit of fiber in the in its FiOS stuff, but it, but it was pretty small potatoes and isn't happening anymore, right? So you're not you're not getting is that right? I thought I thought that it was going like gangbusters where they've done it. Have they slowed down rolling it out? Is oh, it may saying? be it may be it may be great where it's where it's being provided, but I don't think they're building out new FiOS anymore and haven't for a little while. Uh, yeah, we should see, we should I'm find the, a story and link to that yeah, in the I'm show notes because because yeah. I, I don't think they're doing that anymore. And if and if I'm wrong about that, I need to be corrected because it's it's but that is my understanding. Right. Um. So you're so you're not getting um. And and by the way. I, that's just Verizon. They're, so, what are the other uh, phone companies doing? Well, they weren't doing fiber either. So, right. you know, the phone companies basically it was DSL or bust, and DSL has turned out to be kind of a bust. So, yeah, cable is the only game in town. Well, what, you know, we've learned from experience once that's become more clear that that's going to remain the case, then it becomes more, much more problematic. Okay, well, it's, what, what might a still uncertain, do though, to its, What? It's still uncertain, though. I mean, I, well, um, it's uncertain to a degree. I mean, the, um, the, the new wireless stuff. I mean, who knows well, what's right. going to happen? Wait, but, you, but the point you know, is that these companies suck right now, right? These right okay. now they have a stranglehold and they are um, generally not responsive to consumer demand, right? That, I think that's right, and I think that that's that's why the point that you know. We'll never know for sure what's about to happen doesn't carry as much force as it might. Right. Right. That, well, but I have these issues right now. And that answer, wait a minute, it could be better tomorrow, is not really to the point. And the problem is, right? Because you could say that you could say that about any problem. Of course. (laughs) No matter how severe. Of course. um, And as a way to never try to address the problem. So and, that and argument so is, is too, it proves too much, right? Yeah, the, oh, oh, it could be better tomorrow. Well, you know, shut up because that's, <laughs> that doesn't help me deal with my problem right now. Yeah, and this is a reason. I mean, among the many ways that cable providers have been, um, in addition to changing the first name of some of their customers to obscenities and sending them letters, have you seen this? Yes. Um, and and making it difficult for them to uh, discontinue service and having terrible websites and all kinds of other problems. Um, w- one thing that um, people are worried about is this uh, is the network neutrality debate, and that's 
if a cable company has a monopoly over the wires that go to your house and 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 certain wires upstream, um, then you know they can start charging providers of content uh, for preferred service, and that seems that seems bad, right? Um, on the other hand, the uh, you know as we talked about on the show with Christina, I think there there are some technical reasons and some some good reasons why you might want to prefer some packets over others at some times. So in other words, you could imagine someone who just wanted to deliver the best possible service um, to consumers in a very competitive market, preferring, you know, I don't know, like streaming video packets over email packets, because, you know, if the email shows up a second later than it would have, it's not as important as if the stream is buffering. So there may be some reasons to do this in favor. Right. Uh, And in a competitive and in a market where there really were competition, right. That, that, that the fact about, the importance of doing it would be a fact that emerged from consumer preferences. They yeah. would favor and their and they would reward the firms that provided the things they more prefer. Yeah. Right. But, but in a market where there isn't any competition, that signaling opportunity has been lost. Yeah, we don't right? trust these companies any more than we could throw them. Well, right? I can't because I can't signal to them what my preferences are because I don't. I can't buy something else. Right. Yeah. Like if they if they you know well. Uh, what if it turned out that people were actually, you know, to to play with your hypo a little bit, you just gave a very up- appealing, intuitive, common sense reading on people's preferences about email packets, right? Um, it's common sense, sounds right to me. By the way, it's actually an empirical question, and it could turn out to be dead wrong. What would prove it to be wrong? One way to prove it to be wrong would be to allow the marketplace actors to make different bets. I think people really want email first, and I'm going to set up my system that way. Okay, cool. Um, and I think that's crazy, and I'm going to set up my system the other way. Okay, fine. And who gets more customers, and what, how does that affect price? And so you, you, we get information about people's preferences by there being more than one offering in the marketplace. So that, that, that's the, the true. multiple it, offerings is really important. One of the other problems here, that, and we, we went into a lot more detail on these earlier shows, so I'll, I'll link them up. But one of the problems is that it may be hard as a consumer, even if there were a competitive market, to shop for this stuff. Because, you know, it's like it may not be visible to you um, how these packets are being prioritized. And That's true. But, you know, it, interest, I think it's interesting that um, – that oftentimes uh, market actors also see opportunities to provide the service of helping people shop better. So it's true that it can be hard to get information and compare things, but that, that, that means one way to look at that is to say, well, but there's another opportunity, right? So someone can go into the market and say, I'm, I'm the person who helps you determine better which of these people is actually providing the thing you want. So comparisons, price comparison, feature comparison, um, the firms themselves, of course, if there is genuine competition, have an incentive to get you to see what it is about them that you might genuinely prefer, right? So they themselves have an incentive to communicate more clearly. But even if they try to hide it, other people could come in and try to provide the service of informing people about which is the better choice. Right? I can I can see it right now. I can see it right now. And this this one's free if you want to start this business. Uh, Competinet. We sniff your packets in all the right ways. <laughs> I nice. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, so, t- so tell us about this. So tell us about what the FCC is proposing. 
Well, I haven't. Uh, I don't think the formal proposal itself has been released yet. Maybe it was released yesterday. What happened earlier in the week was uh, that uh, Chairman Wheeler uh, published an editorial. I think it was at the Wired website, Wired.com, uh, about his plan. And his plan is uh, to reclassify a broadband service as a telecommunications service that could be regulated using these common carrier uh, regulations that the FCC can establish under a particular part of the, you know, the, the, the regime that the FCC uses to regulate telecommunications. Um, it's called Title II, and it's the title that's, mo that's more about, uh, you know, telephony. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are, those are, you know, very granular details. Uh, I think the other thing that he makes clear is that, um, as, is, as is true, uh, the FCC has the power when it's applying these common carrier uh, regulatory models. It has the flexibility to decide which precise aspects of common carrier regulation are appropriate, use those, and not use inappropriate ones. Right. Yeah. So that's a, actually a pretty common sense thing. It's good to hear, right? Like, ah, the FCC has the power when it's regulating to regulate in a way that makes sense, not to over apply a particular model and that that mechanism is called forbearance so if people might see that word in a story or hear that word in the news or something um the the fcc has this forbearance power so it can apply parts of title ii but not all of title ii i haven't seen the details and the details matter so i don't know all that's in there or, or what I'll think of all that's in there. Um, but it's certainly a lot further than anyone believed. Like there were a lot of people advocating common carrier treatment of, of broadband uh, for, for the last several years and saying, you know, why doesn't the FCC just reclassify it, put it in Title II? That would be the way to go. And most people respond, oh, don't be so pie in the sky. That's crazy. They'll never do that. Da, 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 da. And, and so, as we mentioned on earlier shows, uh, this idea of common carrier that the statute uses is an old one in the law and, and it's kind of by analogy to other kinds of markets. And so I think we mentioned earlier on earlier shows how hotels and trains and uh, well, I guess maybe not hotels or hotels, common carriers. Um, I think, I think inns, um, you know, in the, in the old English sort of the public house where you've got the, you've got the right. food below, you've got the rooms above and that, yeah, I think there was a, a a common carrier approach to that, uh, to those services. Sure. And these are basically things that were, uh, um, services and, and, and I don't know about products, but, but services which were critical for access to kind of the rest of commerce so that if they were severed or if someone controlled them, you could be denied access to the, to the marketplace. I mean, that's, that's always the way that I've thought of them. They're that critical link to the rest of the economy. So. Right. You've got the roads. You've got the transportation on the roads. You've got the services you need for multi-day travel on those same roads, right? Right. And so the basic idea that um, if you want people to participate in that life, you, you need to reassure them that they're not going to be arbitrarily denied those services when they show up in these various places or need to get from point A to point B on the road. Right. And right? so the law for a long time has recognized that if you provide one of those kinds of services, you're subject to additional regulation. You can't just deny people for any and all reasons. There's going to be some oversight of that. And 
and and and in, in trespass law and in, in the ability to exclude it always had been that you you were subject to some um, heightened requirement of showing good cause or reasons for excluding people um, from a train or from some other common carrier um, for these reasons. I mean, the the public interest depends on on open access to the to the economy, and and these are it's it's kind of like regulating exclusion at choke points. And so, by analogy, I guess the um, is it the Telecommunications Act that you're referring to, Title II, has makes a distinction between common carriers and and other kinds of telecommunications enterprises. Do I have that right? Yes, and it and it uh, it says that there are times when well, it, what it means is um, the the upshot of the provisions uh, is that there there are telecommunication services that need to be offered to people on this common carrier approach. Uh, there are other information services that do not need to be offered that way, in part because there are lo- there's there are many competitive providers, and therefore we let competition in those markets where it genuinely exists. We let competition get us some of those same benefits. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's about it's about goals that we want to meet and trying to pick mechanisms that will actually get us those goals given the context. And and a huge piece of the context is going to be. Is this a competitive marketplace or not? Like right. that's really big. But even if it is competitive, I mean, I I think a lot of people are experienced with the internet and um and and how we, and how people use it, and it's it's kind of critical. Um, it's it's critical importance to participating in the economy. You know, it would make sense to most people that it is treated like trains and roads and, and right. And, and, and so, even if it, there were competition, there'd be some worry about you know uh about about heightened regulation of of the way that access is 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 kind of metered you know um to this to this thing to this infrastructure which is now critical fair point and i think as a matter of sort of dis- discretion in allocating resources for you know even in competitive markets if if the good or service in question is one that is that is or, or perceived is perceived to be especially socially important and salient. Um, of course, you know things like consumer protection laws and let, that pre- prevent fraud and and prevent um, false advertising and it, you know all kinds of other things that help a market work much more effectively. Um, I could see prosecutors and and others who do law enforcement. Of various kinds say, you know, look, we need to, we need to focus on this part, part of the market because this part of the market is one that's super important for people. And you might even create a whole separate regulatory regime about that, like food and drug law, you know, the problems of adulterated food or adulterated drugs or people making claims for drugs that aren't true. You know, that was a huge problem at one point. So we created the FDA, um, not because there wasn't competition, but because there was misbehavior that threatened to make the entire market uh, unviable, right? Right. Where where the costs of consumers kind of protecting themselves were too high. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, so so, uh, your point, Hey, even if there's competition, that doesn't mean that, that, okay, there's no role for law to play. I don't mean that at all. There, there could be lots of roles for law to play because there could be particular problems and that could be an effort on on the part of those who enforce those laws to focus in especially sensitive areas or important areas at any given time. Well, that I doesn't that, that doesn't sound like the Joe the anarcho libertarian that we all know and love. What? <laughs> just, what? 
Anarch- <laughs> what? <laughs> I haven't called you Adam Smith in a long time. <laughs> That's true, you haven't. Um, no, and I'm not doing it now. Yes. I just I, called you anarcho- an anarcho-libertarian. What? That's a phrase you use sometimes. It, it is, but I use it to describe people who are the opposite of me, mm. not, not to describe me. You're the uh, so, opposite of that? So you were a little confused. Mm. You're like a, so you're some kind of like authoritarian statist? <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, uh, do we have some follow-up too? Don't let's, let's uh, uh, of a couple issues, which would be fun to talk about very quickly. So, but no, but no, because what I want to do first though, is I want to say, so okay. thank you for, thank you for raising the FCC story. All right. I think we, I think once the, once the actual proposal has been uh, released, and maybe maybe what we do is we wait until after the full commission votes at the regular business meeting, which is scheduled for February twenty sixth. Okay. Um, so people could look for that in the news. But I think at, we do we should have a show. We should have an episode with a guest, a telecom guest, um, uh, to help us understand better some of the nitty gritty of it because I do think it's very very important. Well, maybe we maybe we should just wait though until after the decade long litigation, which will follow. <laughs> <laughs> um no i think we should i think we can do a preview um before that um but uh you're right um as is as is usually the case with very important fcc moves um inevitably someone's ox is gored and they go to the they go to the dc circuit uh to complain um and as well they should in some instances sometimes the complaint is totally warranted sometimes it's ridiculous and whatever but um, so yeah, there will be litigation. I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, you know. It, you know, it'll be the big bad government against America's beloved institutions, the cable companies. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, so, man. you know, we'll see what cable happens. Co- it but costs I, so I would much like money. to do an episode. I would so like money. to do an episode yeah. about it. What? Okay. All right. No, I was just saying how expensive cable is cable and cable internet. Yeah, it is expensive. I don't think it should cost that much. Just saying. Yeah, another associated issue that the FCC is also moving on right now is um, municipally provided broadband. So mm-hmm. having competition, not because it's a different modality of uh, delivered in some other way, right? Uh, you, you know, your your phone line or mobile, you know, delivered wirelessly, but instead um, delivering broadband with a different provider, right? Uh, so a municipal provider municipally owned broadband which already exists in some places um but yeah. there have been uh, the the uh, the cable companies and others have been effective in persuading some states to prohibit the building of municipal broadband networks um and the fcc is ta- is trying to tackle that right now as well yeah to, I, i'm gonna to overturn those state laws yeah i was gonna make a I'm going to hold off. I don't know how well those work. I, and, and so it would be irresponsible for me to make the snide comment about <laughs> internet brought to you by the people who in, enforce um, parking regulations and make you stand in line in places and that people complain about. Because a lot of, a lot of municipalities work very, very well. And um, so the snide, par- the snide comment would not be warranted. But, um, you know, I'm trying to make it funny. I'm trying to move right. things along. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're right um, to say, hey, m- municipalities, um, they don't do everything uh, perfectly. Um, yeah, uh, neither does anybody else. Um, of course, of course, yeah. No, so that's why it was, it was, they do a lot of things very well. They do, and they do a lot of things poorly. That yep. makes them like absolutely everybody else, including you and me. Well, I was going to accept you. 
<laughs> from that. I was just about to accept you. So let's 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 roll on though. Let's roll on. What do we got next? You said there was feedback. Yes, you had some feedback for us. I do. Please proceed. Uh, I yeah, do not have. I do not have feedback. I didn't have access to any feedback. I have what? my phone. You, listener Nicholas sent that note about the um, about the car example, and the uh, this is from the egg taxing. Yeah. So episode. remind us. Uh, remind us of it because I don't have it. Oh, okay. Um, see, I don't have it in front of me either. Well, oh, okay. All right. So let me let me just. Uh, I will. I, so I, the issue was. I'm calling from a remote location. You are speaking from Oral Argument Central. Which is which has all kinds of technological access and bells and whistles, and you know I'm out here in the sticks. But it's like know. trying to operate a nuclear power plant like by yourself when everybody, all the rest of the staff is away. Like all the screen, you know. We're, I don't know if people know this, but the but in in headquarters here, we are surrounded by screens. Um, yes, everywhere, and, and, everywhere, and, and it's like we got 24 hour news media, all the right. different channels. And right up until this moment, people did not imagine when they imagined you at oral argument headquarters, they did not imagine that they were dealing someone with Homer Simpson level capabilities <laughs> running that nuclear power plant. What they believed was that you were a sort of crack tech star, uh, extraordinaire, basically a superhero mm-hmm. of technology. I don't and think you, anyone assumed that. And you're giving a lie to that in I a don't... way that's very disturbing. <laughs> As I remember the issue, uh, we had, we were trying to think differently about the tax treatment of um, selling your eggs, right? Well, which is maybe, you know, selling or maybe not selling. That's the whole people, question. As people who know nothing about tax, as we are wont to do, we we delved into this. Or and, about egg donation. Yeah, so it raises some interesting like social issues, and, and um, the the non-tax um, angle, or or the the argument that there should not be tax had to do with the fact that this was compensation for an injury in a way, right? And this was what was uh, – do you remember the name of the case that came – we we linked it up in the in the show that we did. There was a decision uh, by per- the tax court. Perez, I think. Perez, yeah, yeah, yeah. Concluding that this was taxable and there were all kinds of problems if you concluded that this should be treated as as compensation for an injury and therefore not taxable. And, and so we came up with all kinds of examples. Like is it like a – I think you mentioned it. Would it be like a boxer who um, – is you know is is beaten up and therefore tries to say that all the prize money or all the right. salary was not taxable because it was compensation for bloody or like noses a stu- and things or like a stunt or like a stunt actor. I mean, I think boxing might have been mentioned by the court itself, but yeah. um, but we thought of some other examples too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and one of them was this idea that if you loan your car to somebody, and and if you if you leased it for an amount which was going to, if someone told you in advance that they were going to use your car on the set of a movie and it was going to be dented up. Right, or it might be dented, like, maybe it'll be dented, and then the other hypo was, for sure it's going to be dented, and Right, and so we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you in advance for this, right? And 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 would you have to pay tax on that? And it has to do with our vision for what's what's happening in that transaction. Because obviously if they pay, they say, oh, that's a great car, we want to use it in our commercial. And you say, well, you know, I was going to go to the store, I was going to do these other things, Uh, you're going to have to make it worth my while, and they pay you some money. Well, that's... um, you know, that amount of money is taxable, right? You're being paid for the, um, providing a service or allowing them to use your property. And I don't know what heading, I think it falls under ordinary income, but... Um, right, you're leasing your property to somebody else. Right. There you go. And, they're but if they're it. paying you to damage it, then how is that different than compensating you for damages after the fact, right? Uh, because if it's compensation for damage after the fact, then it's 
it's not taxable because tort compensation is, I guess, generally not taxable. Right. So part of what we're playing with is the notion of, you know, is it by design or by surprise unplanned? Um, Right. Part of it is, um, as Nicholas points out, you know, part of it is wrapped up with um, what we let people deduct as a business expense from business income. And might those two things wash each other out in this hypo such that you don't tax it because you could make someone go through the trouble of counting it as income and then subtracting it as a deduction, which means it nets to zero, or you could just say, don't bother. Well, so he, he puts an interesting frame on it. Um, he says, this raises that fascinating tax policy question of why tort awards are not income. And then in parentheses mentions why his fascination with this disqualifies him from, um, from appearing uh, alongside regular people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think we're right there with him. Uh, my, intu- my intuition seems to be that the victim, by definition, has suffered a harm equal to the award. This is the usual tort justification, right? So that when you're compensated in tort, you're not really gaining anything. It's not really income. Right. Uh, so, so the victim should be able to deduct from income an amount equal to the award, right? That's, uh, therefore, tax law can skip the two-step exercise of considering the award income and allowing an equivalent deduction, and just take the one-step measure of not counting it as income. So, you know, one way to think of this is that any time you receive money from someone, that's income, uh, but then allowing a deduction for, like you would, he, he says that car repairs are generally deductible, which I didn't know. I, I'm overpaying on taxes all the time. But uh, I think he meant car repairs in the hypothetical we described. I didn't think he meant generally. Where there was, is it not? I mean, it's not, right? I mean, if you just take your car in and it needs a new whatever, that's not deductible, right? I don't think so. Not unless it's a business vehicle. I would, yeah, I mean, so. what we let people deduct personally and what we let them deduct when they are conducting a business, right. we need to have Lisa on because that's, yeah, these we really are, we're, we're now way too far into the weeds of stuff we don't know that's not helpful. Well, I think the one thing that we're going to assume, we could be wrong, <laughs> we could be wrong about even this, but this is, I think, Nicholas's assumption. If someone comes over to your car and hits it with a sledgehammer and causes $500 worth of damage and then gives you $500, um, that that $500, if it's a tort award, is not taxable. And, um, and, and if it were taxable, you could deduct it somehow. Right. But what, what, what the, what the non-income treatment does is it kind of skips that two-step exercise of saying, yeah, you received his income, but now you can deduct it on your taxes. Right. right? So why did we bother? Right. And, and that makes sense for, for situations in which, um, the injury you suffer in a, in a way is non-consensual. Right. Right. If we see the non-income nature of tort awards from this perspective, the treatment by the court of the fee for egg donation or, partic- or for participating in boxing makes a lot of sense. To the extent the egg donor or the boxer have expenses, they can deduct those. But we can't presume that in a consensual setting. The measure of the harm that they suffered is the one we would use for a non-consensual setting. Okay, so he's... Uh, because these issues are complicated, you know, how much of the money being paid to the boxer is for is compensation for the injury and how much is an incentive to do things that are productive? Like that's really hard to disentangle. And so just use the ordinary tax scheme of letting you deduct, you know, it's all income, but you can deduct expenses. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the non-consensual setting, like you, you, there, none of that applies. So, you know, if we're if we're paying you, say, for an assault that you suffered, right, you're being compensated for an assault. That you suffered, you didn't consent to. Um, we don't have any questions about what that money is covering, right? Whereas if you agreed in advance to suffer an assault, 
it might be complicated. You know, how much of that is, 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 is compensation for the injuries you will suffer and how much is, you know, holding out to provide some, something of value. Right. And so when the boxer agrees to suffer assaults or, or batteries, more, I guess, more technically right. correctly, um, then yeah, um, it's harder to know. And, and so too, in the egg donation context, I guess this is, would be Nicholas's argument is, um, that if you agree, agree in advance to provide your eggs, then we should treat all of that as income. And, and maybe if you had a claim for expenses related to pain or suffering or, um, you know, whatever it is you have to pay for in order to, to deal with that, maybe the, that should be deductible. But it's not the same as if you were suing in tort ex post for someone who, without battered your consent, you. yeah, battered you and stole your eggs, you know, through some kind of procedure. Um, right, th- th- right. Because it's, instrumentally, we don't have that worry there right that we can't disentangle what is compensation for injuries putting you back in the position you were in before and what is uh um uh and what part of that would be you're trying to get expectation yeah because the you know in in, and i think one reason we don't have that worry is that the legal proceeding that we've designed to provide people a way to get uh compensated for that injury emphatically tells the fact finder that that's precisely what they should be calculating, right? Is right. what puts the person back in the position they would have been had there been no injury. Yeah. What, what actually simply makes them whole as against the injury. Yeah. So right. given that, that now I'm not saying fact finders are perfectly able to do that, but that's certainly what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying to do. And, and that's what the parties will present evidence about. But we shouldn't necessarily trust that that's what the parties are trying to do when they negotiate ex ante, you know, before um, the injurious event. We shouldn't necessarily trust that that's the compensation for which they're arranging. No, we ha- because we know people, when people are negotiating about w- what they are willing to receive in exchange for something, they have all kinds of interests that they're vindicating right. and protecting right. and seeking to advance. So, yeah. I think to do a better job with this, we're going to have to get... We're going to have to get Lisa or somebody back on who can help us think about this. Yeah, if that's true. If we wanted I, I'm to still, explore it more. I, I'm still feeling the sting of this loss, and so I'm not thinking very well at all today. I got to admit. And you're not referring to a loss of eggs. You're referring to a loss of arsenal. That's right. Okay. We also had feedback from a listener about um, a prosecutor seeking the death penalty for the groundhog, right? <laughs> <laughs> there was something about that. I don't quite recall. <laughs> Maybe we'll save that for another show. That, that, that needs a whole show, I think. Yes, the, um, the vicissitudes of Punxsutawney Phil and his brethren. Uh, poor Punxsutawney Phil. I, I can't feel one way or the other about that. I don't know. No? No, I'm numb today. I'm numb. Someone else tried to, I did see a little news clip where someone, some other town was trying to do their own groundhog uh, celebration and the groundhog um, took a bite out of the guy's ear. Right. That, that looked a little awkward. (laughs) I'm not sure that, see, this is the thing when you, when you, when you put on an event like that, it's not exactly a cooperative event between the human and animal world. To refer no, back well, to, the animals the animals have their own ideas about things. The, you know? Yeah, the, the the groundhog did not see that ceremony in the same way. Quite obviously, no, he saw it as snack time, <laughs> or at least a, as, a very elaborate snack time, or or at least as some kind of fight or flight moment rather than 
something about the seasons. That true, true. It could it could have been Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, it was some mix of Fight Club and you know very well dressed snack. Groundhog Day. I it may be um, great movie. Maybe this is something we got to talk about at some. One point. of the best ever, in fact. I, I think so. I mean, I, I one of see, the most philosophically interesting, at least. Got to see how much it holds up, but. Um, Groundhog Day itself, I, maybe one of the worst holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a stupid holiday, right? It's not a holiday. It's not even a holiday. It's just a day, first of all. It's an indication of, if, if anyone's wondering just how far we will go for an excuse to have some fun with other humans, right. um, the answer is there is no length to which we will not go. <laughs> I mean, we, of, we will we will grab a fat rodent, stick it in a tree stump, <laughs> and then drag it back out oh. so that we can have fun. Yeah, this is this is back to our other minds episode about animals. But um, but I was just going to say, not even Banks clothes for Groundhog Day. I mean, that just shows you. Shows you what? That it's the that it's a terrible holiday. I think it's. I think it shows. Um, surprising restraint on the part of banks because <laughs> they will close at the at the drop of anything. That's my point. This is like this is this is our our nation's revealed preference for the for how good for, you know for the quality of Groundhog Day is is shown right it is is revealed by the banks and like no one goes out drinking for Groundhog Day like they do for St. Patty's Day. Mm. There, there's Look, no Groundhog Day parade. There's just some dude in a hat somewhere. I don't even know where. No, I, they, I guess it's in Pennsylvania. People get together. Know. People get together. They don't. They don't get together for this. I'm telling you, some people do. It's a niche holiday. All right, I will grant you that. I myself do not gather with others uh, to celebrate Groundhog Day. No, nobody, nobody gathers. Nobody some, gathers for Groundhog Day. Ay, ay, ay. Some people do. The, the local. Why do you? Why do you need to stamp out their fun? Why are you so opposed to other people having a good time? They're not having a good time. This is just, it's local TV, and there's some guy wearing a top hat grabbing, very, grabbing a rodent, and, and then This is very radical. <laughs> you're very radical. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're making an assertion about the false consciousness of the people who are happily gathered together to celebrate Groundhog Day. I'm, it, I'm not saying it's false consciousness. I'm saying that those people are not happy. Oh, Nobody, nobody's gosh. happy about Groundhog Day. I'm taking out my frustrations in general. Oh on boy. Groundhog Day. I think we should get rid of it. Oh, along with patent. So patent you want to Groundhog suppress, Day. Get rid of it. You want to suppress, um, imprison, nay, execute, people who want to celebrate Groundhog Day. No, no my claim is that there's nobody who wants to, and I just think... Of as course, I, that's I, your as claim. We, that's a very convenient claim, as, is you suppress, <laughs> imprison, and execute them. As we open the show... To try to deny the reality... Let's just, let's just, you know, if we were to make a list of things that are true and, and that if we all acknowledge them, we'd all be better off. We could get on with things. We could, you know, we could kick on, as I say. <laughs> if we just acknowledge that it's a, it's a crappy holiday, no, it, it's not even a holiday, just like, let's, maybe, maybe we'll leave space for a better one. Mm. You know, I mean, think it's, it's, it's opportunity cost. I mean, we could have a better holiday that other people, that people would want to close, uh, things for and, um, and gather, you know, gather around the whatever, you know, maybe Festivus would take off. I think this is, I think this is a great idea, um, in the sense that I think you can go out into the world and make your Jeremiah ads 
uh, against Groundhog Day as you will. Um, and people will either rise up and join in your revulsion at <laughs> Groundhog Day, or they won't. And I, I, and I, I'm eager to find out what happens. It goes too far to say I'm revolted. I just think it's a waste of time. Which may be ironic coming from me an hour and whatever into the show. Um, but <laughs> It certainly is the pot calling the kettle beige, isn't it? 